our creative and non-binary community is strong and so powerful. And the thing is, I don't think we're just resilient. I think we are magnetic and powerful. And we're not a sob story. Right. Right. right? We're, we're actually sharing our reality. We're telling you what it really is. Okay. We're not giving you the sob story about our life experiences. We want to empower and we want to conquer. And we also want to let you know we're here. We're not going anywhere. What's up, everybody, and welcome to the Queerly Black Show. I'm your host, Ashley, and I'm so happy you came by. The Queerly Black Show aims to normalize the everyday existence of black LGBTQIA individuals through an interview-style series with regular folks like you and me. So every week, a new guest shares their story and unique perspective on their existence as an LGBTQIA individual. Thank you for tuning in, and make sure you subscribe, download, set your reminders to the podcast so you never miss an episode. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to another episode of the Queerly Black Show. I'm your host, Ashley. Y'all, I'm joined today by a very special guest. We got Coach Blossom Brown in the building, y'all. Blossom Brown, tell the people about yourself. (laughs) Hello, good people. I am so grateful to be here. Um, I'm Coach Blossom C. Brown. I'm an activist. I'm an astrologer. I'm a life coach. I'm a tarot reader. I am an entrepreneur. I'm a healer. And I'm originally from Mississippi, now living in California. I was the very first Black trans woman to graduate from my university with a degree of public health education. Most people also got to know me in season one of Caitlyn Jenner's show, I Am Kate, and also for my appearance on The Ellen Show in season 13. Um, People also remember me for disrupting the CNN LGBTQ town hall during Don Lemon and Beto O'Rourke's session, uh, calling for the inclusion of Black trans women. Um, and so, yeah, here I am today. Um, I have a doc- documentary out called One Life to Blossom, which is on Tubi and about nine other different platforms. So please tune into that. And so, yeah. All right. <laughs> hey, you got it all going on, man. We're going to talk about all of it. But before we do that, you've seen episodes of the show, so you already know. We got to go back to the beginning. When the first time that you know... With, you know, because obviously um, with, you know, being transgender, there's kind of multi layers to that, right? So we can start with when was the first time you knew, hmm, the way I feel might be a little different than the way other people feel about themselves. Let's start back there. (laughs) Yeah. You know what? It's so crazy. I would say kindergarten. I knew something was different about me. I always knew I gravitated more towards feminine, girly things, but I didn't know why. So growing up, I would say that was this layer of almost confusion. Like I was still trying to figure out like who I was and all of that stuff. You know, went through high school. I was a bad kid. I wasn't the best in high school. I'm not going to lie. But it was really around the age of 20 that I really discovered that, hey, I'm transgender. But for me... You know, um, living in Mississippi, being in my mom's household, I'm the oldest of four, I felt like at the time I was not able to be able to live my true authentic self. So I would kind of have to sneak around. So I would leave the house, get get dressed in my car, dressed as a woman, and then come home and I'll be dressed as something else, something that was not comfortable to me. And so I did that for a few years until I was able to save up enough money and get out of my mom's house. And so when I moved out of my own when I moved out of my mom's house into my own apartment, that's when I was able to begin to be free. Um, I was actually in college at the time. I was trying to get a nursing degree. And a lot of my backstory was I experienced injustice trying to get in nursing school. And so 
I was in college. I had my own apartment. I had my own job. Uh, I'm sorry. I had a job. And uh, at my job, um, I broke down the barrier of being able to come to work as my true self. Uh, my manager at the time allowed it to happen. She actually went upstairs uh, and fought for me to be able to come to work as my true self. And what ended up happening was um, I ended up getting hurt at work where I was knocked unconscious in water because our store had flooded from a rainstorm. And my parents came up to the hospital, my mom's stepdad. And that was when I revealed to my mom that I was trans and living in my truth. And she actually very much accepted it. She's been like a role model to me. She's been one of my biggest supporters since then. And, you know, here I am. And getting into like the activism work was interesting because during that time of injustice of not being able to get into nursing school, I started volunteering with the Human Rights Campaign. And they were the ones that actually gave me a platform. Chad Griffith was still president at the time and he wanted to be more trans inclusive. And so I was one of the girls that came in, shared her story and it just took off because in the audience that night, it was my first speaking gig of over 3000 people. And I was 28 at the time, never had flown on an airplane. Uh, Jeff O, who's still a dear friend, uh, was, president, was president of E! Entertainment at the time. And you know, Caitlyn Jenner had just came out. Um, with the interview with Diane Sawyer. And so I was asked to have a conversation with her and that's just kind of like where every, everything else took off, like Ellen and just like how I built my platform and still building my platform. So, you know, I'm somebody, although I don't agree with Caitlyn Jenner's politics and, and her behavior and her rhetoric now, I still have her to thank for her being a big part of the beginning along with the human rights campaign, along with my teachers and friends and people that supported me to be where I am today. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So your activism really came out of fighting for yourself. Like yeah. the first act of activism was like, I had to fight for myself first. And then it was yeah. like, okay, let's let's take this to another level. Um, yeah. When you were uh, going back to kind of the nursing school experience, when you were going through that, um, what was what did that look like like what was that first sort of rejection that you received and then what what how did you because a lot of times people would just get a rejection and be like all right whatever right like they'll just keep it moving what kind of sparked it in you to say no I'm not or they'll revert back to a version of themselves that's not real right like a, they'll, yeah. they'll suppress a part of yourself to get the goal met and then you'll flourish, right? And I always use <laughs> I always use the example of Lil Nas X. I love Lil Nas X, but I think that you know he he did the Old Town Road thing, and then he kind of he kind of he turned it up on him, right? And then it was yeah. like, oh wait, what's this? So that's true. You know, going in, you know, to to that environment and saying, no, I'm gonna go in as myself, and I'm gonna fight for myself as who I am today, not as some other version just to circumvent and do what y'all want me to do. Talk about that. Exactly, because what happened when I was in college was I had started transitioning in my freshman year of college. And so understand when I first attended that school, it was a community college. I was not dressing as my true self every day. So I would say about two or three semesters in, I started coming to school as who I am now. And people like to say it's disrupting the learning process. I've noticed that a lot when it comes around trans and non-binary people having that conversation, but I worked hard. I studied hard. You know, I kept taking the ACT test. Like 
I was doing what I needed to do, but I knew truly in my whole heart of hearts that part of the reason why I did not get into the nursing program there was because I had transitioned. We could talk about it being competitive all day long, da 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 da, but the reality is schools want diversity, yeah. right? School wants my, um, black folks to come, they want brown folks to come, they want to offer these minority scholarships, and I was a minority. And intersectionality is very important because I'm black and I'm trans. Yeah. And so I felt like I had an even better shot of being able to get in that program because I was a minority. And minorities, which I was looking for, y'all want to sit up there and... Um, the ones they comfortable with, though. Yeah. The ones that they're comfortable with. Hmm. No? Talk about it. Talk about it. The yeah. ones they can um, tokenize. There you go. Um, um, put you on the flyer. And, and oh, look. Look what we got, y'all. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Just yeah. to say that they're inclusive. And so... What up? It's your host, Ashley, and I'm interrupting this podcast to ask, are you following us? Have you downloaded the podcast? Are you subscribed to us on YouTube? If you're not already, go ahead and subscribe to the YouTube channel. Follow us on all platforms, Queerly Black. I'm going to let y'all get back to the show. Peace. What ended up happening was I had maxed out at the community college, and I went to the university level for two years. And the university level, um, I applied one time, but... um, I ended up just switching my major all together because I had just given up. But I ended up switching to public health education and I actually fell in love with the subject. And so what happened was during the time I was at the university level, the human rights campaign had just came into Jackson, Mississippi. They were starting a new office and everything. And uh, my good friend, Rob, who is the director of the Mississippi office, Rob Hill, um, you know, I contacted him. Actually, I contacted the uh, DC office and was connected to him. And, um, you know, me and him had the discussion, you know, I was telling him that I was experiencing injustice, trying to get a nurse school in Mississippi. And so we developed this friendship and, you know, I got to meet the rest of HRC's team, um, Mississippi team, I should say. And I started volunteering with them and I would never forget, we were um, trying to, to uh, do a transgender day of remembrance week event, um, like a week full of events. And on, after one of the calls, we were doing calls like every night trying to plan. After one of the calls, I was asked to stay on and I was offered to fly to DC um, and share my story to over 3,000 people at HRC's National Dinner in DC. At that time, I had never been on an airplane. I didn't know anything about public speaking. I was just like, okay, I need to do this. And that's literally where my activism was birthed. I went to DC, flew there, shared my story, people were just so amazed because HRC at the time was trying to do this thing where they were just trying to be more trans inclusive. And so being able to share my story there, it was just incredible. And then where it jumped to from then, it was amazing. And it's interesting because when I got on shows like Ellen and and, and Caitlin's show, people were mighty quiet. Uh, Those entities that were denying me um, those entities that were discriminating against me, but knowing that I couldn't prove it. Um, they got very quiet when I started sharing my story on a national level. And for me, it was more of a, these folks better get right. Because mm-hmm. we're not here to play. Because trans people deserve to live in a space where they can go after their career. They can go after their goals. And they were not really expecting me to get that national platform the way I did. Like, come on, you know how hard it was to get on the yeah. Ellen show? Yeah. I was literally, I was literally writing her every day for two years straight on her website and everything. 
And, you know, I'm a person that believes heavy on manifestation. And so I manifested my spot on that show. I was not expecting it to go through Caitlyn Jenner. I was not. But I was just so thankful to be able to have my voice heard. And it opened so many more doors for me and even more doors of conversations around trans and non-binary people facing discrimination in education. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, man, that's, that, I think it's, 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 it's interesting. I'm sure like you hear a lot of stories from people. People probably reach out to you a lot about just their own journeys and their own stories. What are some of the things that people don't know that trans people experience, like that you feel like people really should know? I think people play in our faces around homelessness, substance abuse, discrimination, uh, retaliation, so many different things that really do impact our community. But I want people to understand our trans and non-binary community is strong and so powerful. And the thing is, I don't think we're just resilient. I think we are magnetic and powerful. And we're not a sob story. Right. 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 We're, we're actually sharing our reality. We're telling you what it really is. Okay. We're not giving you the sob story about our life experiences. We want to empower and we want to conquer. And we also want to let you know, we're here. We're not going anywhere. And so I think that there is miseducation around our trans community intentionally from people who truly do not give a damn about our community, but want to make themselves relevant. If you really notice that people tend to use the conversation around trans and non-binary bodies as this talking point to amplify their platforms. And it's so interesting how people have profited off our story. Mm -hmm. People have profited off our experiences and they continue to do that. We're in conversations that we're not even in the room to hear. And there's this popularity and this trend around transness, but nobody... But some of these people don't want to advocate for us. They don't want to donate to nonprofit organizations that are actually on the ground doing the work. They want to tokenize us. And there's just so much more around that. And the thing is, we make such an impact in society that it's ridiculous. There's anti-trans legislation that is coming for our trans youth. Mm -hmm. Kids, let's be clear, kids. Kids should be enjoying their friends. They should mm-hmm. be enjoying school. Like they should be enjoying themselves. And themselves. Because, <laughs> exactly. And because, and because of the way that they identify and the way that they choose to live their reality, you have grown people who have nothing to do with the lives of trans youth want to stop that. And they yep. want to exuberate propaganda against trans youth. And I, I just, I, I'm so tired of it, but I do think that we're making the necessary steps we need to make to progress. Um, I do wish the results were coming faster, but you know, you have to give credit to all of the activists and the justice warriors and people who are on the ground doing the work because it's not easy. And they're going against a legislation that is just bigger than them. And so what's happening is they're having to chop down the red tape that's preventing them from reaching what they need to reach. And it's, it's working. And I'm just so proud of our trans, non-binary, gender non-conforming, our entire trans spectrum for living in their truth and showing up and letting them know, hey, <laughs> you're not going to play in my face. Yeah, yeah, 100%. 100%. 
um to 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 kind of pivot just a, a little bit um mm-hmm. you're you know feminine right feminine okay. feminine presenting woman and yes. in the queer community i think um there are other women of course who want to have that identity of like you know i'm transitioning i'm you know going through this journey for myself and you know i want to be my be- the best version of myself right talk about your own journey of like just owning that shit and being like you know what like it's 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 lit over here like this is who i am like whether it's you know you could talk about it from a, a different angles from whether it's the mentality of like this is who I am. And it could be just, you know, the, the clothes, the, the whole thing. Right. Because I mean, as for me, as a masculine presenting woman, right. I talk about my own journey of like really more from a corporate America standpoint, because I've always been a tomboy. So outside of work, I've always looked jerseys, sneakers. That's always been my thing. But from a work perspective, I don't, I very early looked like a woman, like very much like suit be and I also went to Howard which is a, a different <laughs> a part of that because, yeah, which is a part of that because as at a black business school there's you know criteria to that right you wear a suit yes. women wear skirt suits we wear stockings you wear heels your you know your hair all the things so I went into corporate America like that I went in with my weave I had my hair done all the time I wore my skirts and then I get into corporate America and in finance in particular and they're like well yeah we wear jeans on Fridays and I'm like well what are you talking about no we don't we did that's not what they taught us in business school right so then it went from okay so I'm wearing a weave so then I cut my hair and then uh, I stopped wearing the skirt suits. And then now I'm wearing the pants. I'm wearing the chino pants with the polo shirt and the loafers. And now people are asking me about, oh, uh, you're flying to California all the time. Who are you going to see? Now, at the time, my wife was in law school. So I was flying to see her. But I didn't talk about my yeah. relationships at work. So right. that whole, now this is this is probably over the course of like four or five years of like just this steady progression into like who I truly am and feeling like, you know what? you know, I don't really give a fuck what y'all think about this. I really just am going to be who I am, you know, like I'm, yes. a, this is who I yes. am. And it's, it's served me well. I, you know, I've been promoted. I've had, you know, all that because at the end of the day, my work is my work. I'm going to get the work done. You, my, my, you know, right. the, the, at the core, you can't, ain't nobody touching my finance skills. You're not touching my accounting ability. You're not like, that's there. Yes. So talk about what that looked like for you. Just like, Hey, you know, what, what was that, that process? Yeah, it's still a process. I'm still working on it. I'm still working on me. I'm learning to tap into my divine femininity. Um, During the Black Lives Matter protest in 2020, I lost a lot of my masculine energy, to be honest with you. I am a believer that we are divine beings, both masculine and feminine energy. And whichever one you decide to tap more into, that's fine. Whatever makes you feel comfortable, whatever makes you feel safe. Because ultimately, safety safety. is very, very important. Yeah, absolutely. And for me, I would just kind of code switch a little bit because when I was out there protesting, you know, it was my masculine energy. Yeah. But then when all of that was said and done, I had lost that. And I tapped more into my divine femininity, my divine feminine energy. And it just overtook everything. And then I had been working over the last two years trying to find my masculine energy and trying to figure out how to integrate both. And I keep going to the extremes of both. It's like I'm doing too much of this or too much of that and not enough this, not enough that. So for me, I'm learning to embrace both. 
Now for me, some days I may get up, wear camouflage pants, wear like a hat. You know what I'm saying? I may mm -hmm. give you that tomboy look. And then other days I may give you a more feminine, classy, softer look. And I think too often in the trans community, as a trans woman, we feel like we just have to stick with this feminine, natural, soft side. And that's not the case. Right. You know, for me, I choose to embody both. Now, you got to also understand, too, trans women have been trying to get away from what society, who is already transphobic against us, feels that we are masculine, that we were born men and all of this other stuff. And so trying to break the chains of that delusional ideology, because obviously that's what it is, um, has been really, really interesting for me. And it's been kind of tricky as well, too, because you know, I find myself being like, okay, I need to feel free. I need to break free. I don't want to live in alignment of what society thinks I should be. And I don't know if I'm leaning more towards a non-binary kind of like perspective around this. I'm still trying to figure it out. I'm just in this place now where I want to embody all parts of me and not give a damn what people think about me. I don't care about people judging me because one thing you're not going to do is you're not going to stop me from living in my purpose. I want to be a purposeful person. I don't get to cherry pick my purpose because yeah. man says so and because she says so about me. And so for me, I'm still on this enlightened journey. I'm learning to embrace both. But we also got to name that because my journey is the way it is, that's not all trans people. I don't speak mm -hmm. for all trans women. Yeah. I don't speak for non-binary folks. I only speak for Blossom. And so for me, I'm finding that it's been a very divine time of alignment for my soul and my spiritual practice just to really tap in and to own all parts of me. And it's a challenge. I'm not going to mm -hmm. sit up here and pretend like it's easy. Mm -hmm. It's a challenge. And I said to myself, I want to devote 2023 to tapping into parts of myself that I usually don't and begin to reconciliate what I need to reconciliate within myself. Yeah, yeah, no, totally, totally. Um, talk a little bit about hmm, just very, 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 you know, uh, briefly transphobia in the queer community specifically. Yeah. Because obviously, you know, outside of the queer community there's just you know we don't understand i don't understand that what the hell y'all got going over there we we got that yeah. we we understand that but within the community right yeah the people who are like you in here with me and you saying this crazy shit out your mouth talk mm -hmm. about what that looks like because i mean i i mean I, I obviously i think um I've, I've seen it i've seen you know comments yeah. i pay attention to I, I definitely pay a lot more attention to what i would consider queer news now especially yeah. being in you know with the with the podcast and everything like that but just talk about it from your own perspective whether it be from personal experiences whether it be from activism helping other people uh because you yeah. are you know you do help other people so just you know talk about that yeah, I think transphobia in the LGBTQ plus community is a very layered conversation because, you know, you have the white gays over here that are being mm -hmm. transphobic. You have the black gays that are being transphobic. You have black lesbians that are being mm -hmm. transphobic. Like we have so many different groups of people within the LGBTQ spectrum that do perpetuate transphobia. Now, whether it's conscious or unconscious, it's a whole nother topic. For me, you know, when 
I see, and I think I want to stick around Black folk, because this is where I see yeah. the most transphobia. When I hear Black gay men take the side of the perpetrator that wants to be transphobic against the trans experience, it's very heartbreaking. I think it's a very white supremacist tactic. It just also shows that cisgender privilege is real. Yeah. Okay, because people also forget lesbians, gay, and bisexual people most likely still identify as cisgender for the most part. And so trans and non-binary people sometimes have to go stealth to go and get resources within the cisgender community. Mm -hmm. Because let's be real, we live in a predominantly cisgender world. And so for safety reasons, some of us in the trans community do have to go stealth to be able to get that. Now, I'm not one of those first. I'm not one of those people that feels like she has to go stealth. I'm just, I'm going to knock at your door. I'm going to be like, look, this is what it is. And I sometimes cannot believe how some Black lesbians, and they're much more masculine presenting, perpetrate transphobia. They play into this ideology around trans women not being women, that trans women had male privilege. And I think it's just so disingenuous when we tear each other down in the community. This is why I almost have this issue around the Black movement in general, because what we try to do in the Black movement, and I'm talking about not just queer folks, I'm talking about the whole Black movement, we don't want to address intersectionality within our community. And you have the Black queer people over here saying, hey, we're Black too, right? But we love who we love. So why are y'all trying to deem us less Black than the hetero Black people over here? I've seen that a lot. And then when you peel back that layer into our community, it's like we're trying to stop each other from sitting at a table that is destined for all of us. I have never understood that. But then I've also learned to check my own bias because, you know, for a while with bisexual men, I had a bias because when you think about it, when women date men, right, they're not going to be, some women are, are a little frantic if the man is also attracted to other men because you get into this whole conversation around being down low. And I remember growing up in the 90s how when the conversation around being gay was really starting to come to the forefront growing up as a kid and seeing that, Mm-hmm. It was detrimental to a woman's existence. Yeah. If her man was sleeping with a man, also mm-hmm. was sleeping with a man as well. Mm-hmm. And I think that still carries on to this day. And I asked myself, because I'm much more fluid and pansexual now, but back then when I was still trying to un- when I was still trying to remove the biases, because growing up in Mississippi, you know, you're conditioned and taught a lot of things. And it wasn't until I started traveling outside of Mississippi that I realized a lot of what I learned, oh my God, I'm going to have to unlearn it. And I just think that uh, when it comes to just that conversation of just healing, I had to learn and I had to be willing to go into other communities within our spectrum and learn and unlearn. Um, Because I really did have that bias around bisexual men, um, because I also feel like, you know, bisexual men claim they like men and women, but they're not attracted to trans women. And that's a whole other nuanced conversation Mm -hmm. we can have, because for me, 
You know, we talk about preference so much in our community, but just because you have a preference, it does not mean that you cannot be underlying transphobic. Yeah. Okay. Two things could be true at the same time. Now it could be very or colorist or any of that. Like you know, you preference because that's you know, but but when it's it's interesting because critical thinking allows you to get to the place where you can like draw the parallel between the two, right? Like you yes. like, well, you know, preference really falls into this category of like bias. If you really kind of like, if you loop it all back, right. But it's hard for people, unless you have time to sit and have a conversation that takes them step by step about why, like, do you understand? Like what you're saying is really, it all leads itself back to this thing. It doesn't mean yeah. there's anything wrong with you or anyone else because we all grow up with our own experience and we come to adulthood with all of that. We come to yeah. adulthood with everything that we learn, but we do got to unpack some of that and be corrected because I mean, even for me with the whole bisexual thing, I have had conversations with bisexual people, you know, and I'm like, yes, yeah, not that I have a problem with it. It's just something I don't understand. Because yeah. I like women. I've always liked women. I don't ever look at a man and say, I, I mean, I can say a man looks attractive. Like, oh, that's a nice looking gentleman over there. But I'm not like, oh, yeah, I'm trying to go. Like, I don't look at nothing. Ab so I don't even understand. My mind doesn't understand the, right? But I have conversations yeah. and it's like, all right, yeah. that makes sense to me. Why, you know, for someone who identifies with that, that's your, you know, that that's that's how it it is for you just it's just yeah. not something i personally understood right so having conversations and being able to get to the root of those types of things is super critical and i think people mm. when they are able to have more conversations like that can even if even if it's not that they are able to accept it it's like you can at least understand and maybe correct your yeah. language when you're talking right because that's the whole thing is that at least for me when we step outside of specifically, whether it's your black community, whether it's your queer community, a lot of times you're the, the person that they're encountering, you're a representation for the entire community. And yes, the, minute that you, the minute that you come out of your mouth and say, yeah, I don't, that, 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 that X, Y, Z, I don't, I don't understand that either. Well, yeah. you have to have better language for representing this community because it's the only way that we can push forward is if we're, you know, I always go back to the example of many, many years ago when Lil Wayne in the middle of police brutality, he had an interview and he was like, yeah, I don't have no problem with the police. They ain't never, I ain't never, you know, the, the cops is cool. This is mm -hmm. in the middle of black people dying left and right. right. And that's right. his personal experience. But Correct the commentary has to be more empathetic to the community because I agree. white people and people who are taking your comment, you're the only black person that they probably encounter. This is the only comment they're going to ever hear about police. And I'm like, oh yeah, there's nothing wrong with cops. Now we lose out on a core group of advocates. We, we potentially lose out on a core group of people who yeah. did not know that this existed. And you're a black man right? Who's rich, yeah. who has a different kind of privilege. And you're sitting here and your, your rhetoric is around, yeah, cops are fine. They, they never did anything to me. Well, yeah. but what about your brother who was in prison for 20 years? What about your cousin who's still locked up? What about, you know, your nephew who got beat down in the street? What about, you know, 
we just got to have better language when we're out and we're saying things. You can have whatever conversations you want at your house, at your kitchen table and reading your newspaper. But when we're out and we're representing our community, whether it be black, whether it be queer, the conversations just have to look a little bit different. So I, I totally understand. Yeah, you you brought up something that's really, really important. See, what people tend to do is they don't want to do the work. They'll pick the one, the, they, they will pick the most problematic person who can give them what they need, right? To exploit them and to be able to amplify their whole talking points that are very homophobic and transphobic. Yeah. Just going back to that little Wayne experience, you know, like they took his personal appearance, they took his personal experience and try to figure out a way to amplify that and deem it the whole entire experience. Mm-hmm. And that's the problem there. And that's the gag. That's mm-hmm. the gag. What up? It's your host, Ashley, and I'm interrupting this podcast to ask, are you following us? Have you downloaded the podcast? Are you subscribed to us on YouTube? If you're not already, go ahead and subscribe to the YouTube channel. Follow us on all platforms, Queerly Black. I'm going to let y'all get back to the show. Peace. Mm -hmm. Let me be clear. Let me repeat that. That's the goo goo gaga. Mm -hmm. There has to be an important disclaimer. Look, this is my personal experience. Mm -hmm. This is not the the whole community's experience, okay? We are not a monolith. We are here. Our realities are different. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you're not peeling back the layers of racial identity and, and all of these other things, like, what are you really doing? You're not really wanting to do the work. And that's why I want to create spaces that are so much more intentional where we can actually have this discussion and have these types of conversations. And even, it, it's just even going back to like the original question, you know, in the queer community, what people tend to do again, they go to this safety net around, first of all, getting the most problematic person who is the most rebellious person, because often we know controversy sells, and then just try to spotlight them, knowing they're gonna say these problematic things within the trans experience, and shine a light, making making their whole viewpoint around trans people bright and all of this other thing, glamorous stuff. And I have been observing that in spaces. I've been observing that around trans folks who are more conservative um, and just listening to conversations around them. And see, sometimes when I go in spaces, I just have to sit and observe. I'm a Gemini moon, so I have to sit up there, observe, document, look at you, study you, analyze you, be like, hmm. <laughs> okay. I see the game plan. Yeah. I see you with the okie doke. And uh-huh. I have to learn to be like that because. I'm so glad that I spent 2022 doing that because it's given me so much more insight to the strategic game plan that people are playing in our faces. Mm -hmm. And it's just disappointing when our own Black community plays into that because we, some of us in our community will step over each other in order to be close to white supremacy because we know white supremacy will get you the money, the power, the ammunition that you need to weaponize against other folks that are in the black community. Mm -hmm. And I just really take issue sometimes when, you know, some of our black lesbian, black bisexual, um, black gay folks do not want to acknowledge black trans and Mm non-binary people. They just don't. And I just think that when we all stop and see that we deserve the full course meal and not these little pieces that they're trying to throw at us and we're having to fight over these pieces. 
these pieces, I think we can get to freedom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ooh, no, that I, was a, that was a, yeah. Ooh, that was that's, deep. That was a, that's it. That yeah, was a good one. that was a good one. That was, yeah. yeah, no, I mean, because it is what it is. But you know, speaking of um, you know, bias and phobias, let's talk about dating. Ooh, come on. a little bit. Let's talk about dating a little bit, and um, you can talk about you know. I know one of the the bigger topics tends to be with um, you know, trans women and uh, feminine presenting men is the download brothers. Mm-hmm. The download mm-hmm. brothers tend to be like yeah. that, you know, the the category of like, okay, you know, that that's where you know th- there's a lot yeah. of a lot of challenges. You know, a lot of men are attracted to you know feminine presenting men and trans women, but they don't want to be public. They don't want to be, yeah. you know, they want to date you for years or be with you for years or whatever, but don't want to, you know go go to the next level um but talk about your own personal experience dating and you know what that's looked like for you yeah and i was just thinking about this the other day you know i think there's a difference between dl men who are chasers and trans attracted men first of all i think trans attracted men have the intention of not just being sexual with trans women but also romancing trans women or rom- let me say that again put that again I think when it comes to trans attracted men that it's not just about sexual preference with them, it's also about wanting to be romantic with a trans woman. And you're talking about men, you're talking woman. about cisgender men who want to be yes. courting or dating trans women. Yeah. Is it, that's a trans attracted um, person. Exactly. Okay. And I think DL chasers only just want to have sex without the intention of being romantic with trans women. And I think that's why they get the name Chase Man. There are so many nuances around that. And I feel like some of my binary trans sisters can talk more to it better. I'm a little bit more fluid. So my dating pool is actually a little bit more open. Um, I am, I turned a blind eye to gender identity and sexual orientation because I'm getting to this place where there has to be a spiritual connection with the people that I date. Um, I've gone through this, this process where for so long in my dating life, I feel like I've always had to compete against other people when it comes to dating. Um, and usually they'll go with the more ethnic looking girl, the Latina girl, the Asian girl, like they tend to go more in that realm versus me. And I've experienced that, um, a lot. And I had to get to this place in myself of saying, okay, Blossom, you're good looking, you have a great personality, mm-hmm. you're amazing, you're powerful. And, you know, just look at it like this, you just have not attracted the right Your people person just too. yet. And it's no jab at other people that have looked over me or whatever, but it just, I had to go through this deep healing introspection part of myself because dating is hard in LA. Mm-hmm. It's very complicated. It's like you try to date one person and that one person has dated like five or six other people in your like community mm-hmm. or whatever. And so it's just, LA is just so small. But I had to really look at, relook at my values and what I want in a relationship. And I had to go through, go through a therapist for that. You know, mm-hmm. I was talking to my therapist about all of this and, you know, she really, really helped coach me to understand like, you don't have to compare yourself to other people. You are unique. You are valuable. You are beautiful. You are grand. And you deserve love, happiness, and abundance. And for trans people, for especially for trans women, 
it's so hard for people sometimes to love us out loud. Mm -hmm. And it's so unfair because, again, trans women are women. We don't deserve to be, you know, hidden in a closet mm -hmm. when the guy's family comes around because they would not accept him from being with us. And I always appreciate trans attracted men who break free of that. And, you know, I don't mean to be so binary on this subject or whatnot. Because again, I would date feminine guys. Like, I, my dating pool is, again, open. But just talking specifically with this, it's just not fair. And I appreciate all of the binary trans women that speak up on this subject. Because yeah. it's very, very important that we begin to educate people. Because that whole trope that if men are attracted to trans women, they're gay, it's so stupid, it's outdated, it's disingenuous. and People tend to use that because, again, they do not want to do the work on educating themselves on the trans experience. They only want to make it a talking point to get them clout, yeah. fame, attention, and they platform it now. They mm -hmm. platform the dating experience of trans women. And it's ridiculous because a lot of us are not even at the forefront of these types of conversations, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and so- Yes, yeah, other people I, talking about something that has nothing to do with them. Yeah, it's crazy. And it's, yeah, and it's just so crazy. And when I look back at my experience, it's like, you know what? The person that is meant to date me and that would be with me or whatever like that, I hope and I know they will love me for me. I don't have to dim my divine femininity or my um, brilliant masculine energy. I don't have to dim any of that. I can finally like just be myself. I feel like sometimes I've had to shrink myself or like up my game for one person that may not even be right for me in the long run. I'm mm. having to sit and learn that. And can I tell you, it's been beautiful to learn. It's mm -hmm. been beautiful to grow. It's been beautiful to heal. And it's been so beautiful that I'm sure one day I'm going to attract the person that's meant for me. But in the meantime, I had to learn self-love. I had to learn my own self-value. And, you know, my North Node is in Aries. So those of y'all that know astrology, astrology, uh, when, when, we, when it comes to your North Node, your North Node is your destiny, which you should be doing in this life. And Aries is a sign that's about the self. You know, Aries is the pioneer. Aries is like, I don't need the rest of y'all. I'm trying to bust the doors for y'all. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like, I'm doing this for y'all. Like, I had to learn to start putting myself first, taking care of myself first, and loving myself first. And it's been so beautiful. And it's been so healing. And I'm just grateful for everybody that said no to me, that didn't think that I was worthy of dating, um, because I'm coming back into this place of myself that, you know, I am, it's okay to be vulnerable, it's okay to cry, it's okay to, you know what I'm saying, just, just unpack and heal the trauma that I've experienced in dating, you know what I mean? Like I um, dealt with sexual assault trigger warning. I've dealt with sexual assault. I've dealt with a lot of things in my dating life. And I'm just grateful that I'm in a place now where I know I'm ready to date again. Yeah. I know I'm gonna date the right person and the right person's gonna come to me. So yeah. That's lit, that's lit. What's 2023? What can the people expect yeah. from you? Oh, in 2023, I am going to be birthing new things. I just know it. I am in alignment with what I have put my manifestations into. And so we'll just see what happens. I, I want to live in the present. 
So I don't know what's going to come about, but I just know I'm going to be protecting my peace. I know that's right. That's <laughs> number one. That is top, yes. top priority. Got to protect yourself. It's been crazy. These last couple of years have been off the chain. Yes. I don't, I just feel like that. I don't know. This, I feel like the energy's just been weird. Yeah. You know, like it's weird energy. Well, well, from an astrology standpoint, mm -hmm. this is going to be a year of a lot of changes. There's going to be a lot of karmic justice. 2023 is the year of the number seven. Okay. So seven is Libra four plus four is three. In astrology. Yeah. Two plus yeah, two is three. Four, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, two plus two is, plus three is seven. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So seventh house is ruled by Libra. Libra is the sign of justice. I'm a Libra myself. So there's going to be a lot of justice, karmic justice. If you did the work in 2022, because that was the year of the number six, which is six is six houses ruled by Virgo, which is about work and daily tasks and structure, all that stuff. You're a Virgo? I am. Yeah. September 5th. You already know. Mm -hmm. You already know. This year, you're going to see a lot of karmic chaos, especially when Saturn moves into Pisces. And so when Uranus and Mars and Neptune or Pluto, if any of those planets like aspect it, you know, that's where we could really feel the changes. And, you know, this is definitely going to be a year of soulmate, twin flame reunions. Um, this is also going to be the year where your friendships may be strengthening even deeper when Pluto ingresses into Aquarius for a few months. So like you may end up developing more platonic soulmates. Um, there's going to be a lot of marriages, divorces this year. There's going to be lawsuits. This is going to be a very, very interesting year so far, you know, based on like whether the aspects and the planets just hit each other the way they need to hit each other. So it's going to be, a, it's going to be a shift and a change, but it's going to be a good thing. And, it, yeah. and how you choose to perceive this year can actually make a difference in your whole well-being. Yeah, that's lit. That's lit, man. Well, I, you know, I definitely appreciate you coming. So we're going to play a little game real quick. A little game of this or that. A little game of this or that. Let's see. Let's see what you will pick. So uh, laundry or cooking? Ooh. Laundry. Day at the spa or watching sports all day? Wait, what was the first choice? Day at the spa or watching sports all day? Nah, I watch some sports, child. I watch sports. <laughs> Short hair or long hair? Oh, I kind of like it. Oh, I dog, I kind of like both. Like long. But I think for this season, because it's winter cold, that's how I'll do long. Long hair. Lipstick or lip gloss? Oh, I wear both. Shoot. Oh, no, no. Answer the question. I would probably do lipstick. Lipstick. <laughs> a sports car or a big truck? Oh, like an SUV? Yeah, big truck. Mm -hmm. Yeah, big truck. Big truck. Big truck for sure. Big wedding or a small ceremony? Oh, you know what? I would probably do a... Oh, that's a good question. I would probably do a small ceremony. You know what I'm saying? Like with my most close, intimate friends and family. Yeah. Probably. Stay up late or sleep in? Stay up late. I'm a night owl. I got to do, 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 two at three in the morning, texting on social media. <laughs> yes. Iron or redry it? I'll redry it. <laughs> sports bra or underwire bra? Oh, I think sports bra. Okay. Sports bra gives it a little. A little. <laughs> okay. Pillow princess or I'm on top? 
Ash, pillow princess. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That was a good one. That was a good one. <laughs> I always throw that last one in there like. <laughs> All right, y'all. Well, Blossom, tell the people where they can find you. Yeah, so I am all over social media. My Instagram is Blossom Brown. If you're interested, you can follow my Tarot Astrology page, Hello Blossom. The um, the name is in my bio. I'm Coach Blossom C. Brown on Twitter, Facebook, Blossom C. Brown. Um, I'm verified, so you will, you will know it's me. Um, so yeah, come follow along on my crazy adventure of yeah. healing and activism. Yeah, man. <laughs> Oh, well, thank you so, so much, Blossom, for coming. This was a great conversation. I'm really, really grateful that you came and shared your, shared your story with us. And y'all already know, my name is Ashley. This is another episode of the Queerly Black Show. I'll catch y'all on the next one. Peace.